Hey everybody, I want to take a second to tell you about Snagit 2022. I don't have time to go into all the details about Snagit 2022, but it has a variety of options for fast and easy to use video creation. It's got new ways to work across devices and platforms with the new cloud library. And your purchase or upgrade includes your first year of maintenance and the newly updated Snagit certification course. With 20 plus videos of Snagit how-tos, certification is a great way to help you speed up your workflows, unlock potential, and get your work done faster. So check out Snagit 2022 today at snagit.com. And now, back to the podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Matt Pierce. I am the Learning and Video Ambassador for TechSmith Corporation. Glad that you could be with us today. We're excited to be able to be back on the air. We took a little break for the Thanksgiving holiday. And if you're listening to podcasts, of course, now we're a couple further weeks out, but we're glad you could be here. Today, we've got a really great topic, something that I think, especially since the beginning of this world pandemic and health problems that people have been going remote and there's this interesting issue that if you were creating a lot of instructor-led courses, now you got to figure out how to get them into a virtual setting so that you can actually deliver them to your audience. And we've got a great guest today. We've got Shannon Tipton. She's going to be joining us and talking about this, and we're going to dig into that in just a second. So one of the things I just want to mention, if you are listening to the podcast, please go out and give us a rating. It helps us get found and helps your colleagues and friends and others know that the Visual Lounge is something that you can, you can watch and listen to. Now, with that said, let's jump right into to today's episodes. We're going to introduce Shannon here. If you've ever met someone that you just click with, let me just tell you, you feel like you've known them for a long time, then you know how I feel about Shannon Tipton. Shannon is someone that is, uh, that you know, at a small conference, she took me under her wing and, and through that experience, I have benefited greatly, not only learning from her, but getting to meet awesome people that she was so gracious to introduce me to. Um, you know, I, but she also, you know, I just watch her present and I watch her share her knowledge and it's an inspiration. So Shannon is the chief Learning Rebel of, that's the company's name as well as Learning Rebels, which you can find more about at learningrebels.com, where she teaches, consults, and helps organizations think about differently about workplace work learning. And with that said, let me welcome Shannon Tipton to the Visual Lounge. Hey, Shannon. Hi, thank you so much for that great introduction. Oh, you are so welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here today to talk with us about this topic that I'm sure a, a lot of people, if you're if you're making courses, instructional design stuff, I'm, I'm guessing they're struggling a little bit with the, the challenge. Most likely. So, Shannon, I, we obviously introduced you, but what would you tell the people that are watching a, about yourself to help them to get to know you a little bit? Well, to get to know me a little bit, well, uh, I do like to think about training differently. I like to put on different lenses and think about the problem from a different approach. And that's typically how I've addressed my uh, work style when I was in corporate America and also now as I run my own business. And the tagline there, there's two because <laughs> I couldn't decide, uh, <laughs> fighting, the good, fighting the good fight, you know, which is, you know, trainers out there, find your voice, find your passion, right? And then second to that is, it's time to think differently. And it is time to think differently about training and how we conduct it, how we approach it, how we deliver it to our businesses and how we truly add business value. You know, one of the things I, I think I love about this find your voice is I think so many trainers are out there, instructional designers are, are struggled to do that on a regular basis. They struggle mm -hmm. to find their seat at the table, if you will, from that kind of business metaphor. Yeah. Um, real quick, what advice would you give someone to help them find their voice? Just just do it, really. Um you know, it's interesting. I was just on another webinar not more than an hour ago, and we were talking about mindset shift. And one of the things is that, of course, you've got your growth mindset and your fixed mindset. And where are you? You know, do you find that you that you're saying a lot of I can't, I shouldn't, I won't, I, they won't let me, you know, so you're finding yourself in this negative space and in this fixed mindset place. And sometimes it's just a little shift. It's a rather than a, I can't, it's a why not. And I shouldn't, 
I will. You know, I've always been of the mindset of beg forgiveness. You know, if, if they're going to fire me because I'm using my own branded templates in PowerPoint, then, you know, let them fire me for that. You know, so it's and then you just work bigger. Then you just work bigger. So my theory here is, you know, jump on in. The water's nice. Uh, take a couple of risks. Do some under the radar pilots. You know, there are so many things that you can do to shift your paradigm, even just a, a little bit. And shifting it just a little bit makes such a huge difference. Anyway, one of the things I want to ask you, we're going to jump into the instructor-led stuff here and to virtual-led stuff in a second. One more question I want to ask you as we get going. Um, I know you use images, you use videos, but uh, how do you use visuals like, you know, obviously video or images on a daily basis? What's your kind of go-to thing for using images and video? You mean aside from Snagit? Well, you don't have to say tools, but yes, thank you. But like, what are you using? What are you using them for daily? Uh, besides how you're making them, what kind of things do you use them for? You know, images are really important to what I do, and uh, a, a few of my clients they hire me to create infographics and other visual type of uh, training for them, and so that's really what I'm using images for. And for me, images speak to the point of the infographic. So if I'm creating an infographic and I was just working with a client, I, we created 50 infographics for them. And each one was very unique in style. And I was thinking about what's the point of this infographic? What's the goal of this infographic? And then all of the images then had to align with that point. You know, so every graphic had purpose, every graphic had meaning, you know? So when I'm thinking about how I'm using images, that's pretty much how I'm using it. It's how am I going to communicate a message through that graphic? So let's let's shift from the kind of some of the general stuff to talking more about instructor-led training and virtual-led training. Uh, so with the two topics, so I wanna define them a little bit because if someone's listening or watching this, they might not know the terms and we will probably shorthand them ILT, VLT, but what, what do we really like, what defines those? Is it just like one is in person and one is literally online or is there things that are different than that? No, it's just a media application. So it's a media application for your training. And when you think about ILT, typically ILT is live it's live. I'm here. You're here. You're in your seats, uh, in your tables or in your groups. I'm standing right there in front of you. We can communicate with each other. I can read your body language, etc. So ILT, VILT, your virtual space, which is what we're in now. It's a it could be a training program or a classroom or a webinar, but me leading it through some sort of virtual application while the other people are dispersed in other geographic locations, yet we're all coming together to learn one thing. Okay, so we got these two kind of the media presentations, right? Like you got right. them there. So obviously, I think there's probably a lot of people who are very comfortable face to face. It's very mm -hmm. comfortable. It's very natural. We've been doing, I mean, it's a mm -hmm. style that's been going on for eons, literally. Right. People, people have been training. So when you look about taking a program that already exists and you're starting to think about like, it should, should it be, I guess is what, probably where I'd start. Should it be virtual? What kind of questions are you asking to determine if that is even going to start to work? I mean, I'm, we can get into the nuances and we'll funnel down into like the, how do you do that? Whatever. But how do you know if it's going to be a good, even to translate it, to start to do the work? Right. And actually, that's a really good question. Just because we can, doesn't mean we should. Right. And when you're first thinking about, should I move something to the virtual space? The key question that you're asking yourself is, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish from this? So there's a webinar, and then there's a virtual training event. And those two things are very different. So you're taking a look at your curriculum, and you're thinking, is this something that people are going to utilize? Is there a change expectation? And to be honest, we all know that we should not be putting out a training program if there is not a change expectation behind it. Okay, so then that could be put into the virtual training uh, bucket. 
Now, if there is something that's just knowledge based, not unlike what we're doing here, really, is that there's uh, I'm just giving you information. I'm hoping you're going to use that information. That really becomes a webinar. It's it's one to one type of knowledge versus one to many type of training information. And you take a look at your uh, curriculum and think, what's the goal? And can I achieve that goal in a virtual space? Nine times out of 10, it, yes, you know, you, you can. As a matter of fact, I was working with somebody in law enforcement and they were going to move their, uh, their shooting practice, you know, defensive shooting into the virtual space. So for those of you who say, well, we can't put our sales training in the virtual world. Look, if law enforcement can put their shooting practice into the virtual space, then you can put your sales training into the virtual space. So it's just a matter of taking the learning objectives and reconfiguring them so that they can be put into the virtual space. But you really have to think first, what's your goal? I, I love that that analogy, though, that story, because, I mean, I'm trying to think of, is there is there anything that doesn't translate, though? Obviously, you've just shared an example of something that's very, like, I would expect when it makes sense in a virtual space. But what are the considerations then? Like, because obviously, that's a very physical action. Are you asking people to practice at home? Are you asking them to to still do like behavioral things or is it more like concept idea and theory? You're just taking the parts that make sense to talk about. No, you could do, um, you could do concept theory, behavior change. You could do application. You can do all those things. The key is, do you have the right tools to do it? Um, so you can't expect, uh, to have some sort of success in training if you are simply using WebEx meeting. You, you, you cannot have that expectation because you don't have the tools. And so what I mean by the tools are, do you have breakout rooms? Do people have an opportunity to communicate and to share ideas and to f reflect on those ideas? Are, you, are people able to annotate? Are you able to use a whiteboard? Are you able to share screens? Can your participants share a screen? Um, is there a collaborative space? You know, so when I say tools, I mean real tools, tools that we would use in the classroom, which can be replicated in the virtual world. And if you don't have access to those tools and you're just, like I said, looking at WebEx meeting, then no, then no, do not try to convert your training because then what happens is you're just, you're just talking and maybe you're using the chat feature and nothing's going to get accomplished by that. So you have to be sure that you have the right tools in place to hit the objectives that you want to hit. Okay. So we've got these applications of things we can do. One question I think that probably is on some people's mind though is this idea of engagement. And you talked a little bit about like breakout rooms and I think there's some inherent elements and kind of the things that you can do in the tool. But let's right. take a let's take a kind of a sidestep for a second and say, what does it mean in a virtual led uh, environment, we'll call it, I think is probably a good term. What does it mean to be engaging in that environment? Like, does that mean like you gotta be a, you know, I think a lot of people think engagement's a funny word. It's like, oh, well, I gotta be funny or I gotta be telling stories or, you know, like whatever engagement means for someone. But like, what does that look like in a good virtual kind of environment? Yeah. First, the key is you have to be interesting. You really do. Uh, people will not be interested unless you are interesting or if the topic is not interesting, then people will not be interested. Those things go hand in hand. So once you have that hook, once you have that hook, then it's about how do I keep them engaged? And a lot of times what I see happening is people will come into a virtual meeting and maybe they come into silence, you know, uh, so that's off-putting. There's either silence or there's just a little bit of banter or a little bit of chit-chat and nothing really happening. So you're setting the tone. What would happen if you went to a party and you opened up the door and you walked into the party and it was absolute silence, no music, no talking, no anything? Well, you'd turn around and you'd walk out and you'd find a different party to go to. Same thing happens here. So think about how you are introducing 
your topic and how you are gaining attention and how you're hooking interest. That's the first part. The second part then is to remember that when it comes to engagement, engagement is not necessarily synonymous with interactivity. So let's talk about engagement first and being engaging. Now being engaging on the screen is taking it up a notch. You know, so if you are naturally introverted and a naturally quiet type of facilitator, now's the time to practice being a little more up in your energy because this little screen, remember, ILT means I'm right in front of you. I can see your face. I can see your body language. This virtual space is me on a camera being transmitted to you on a little laptop screen or maybe on a bigger monitor if somebody is you know, lucky to have a second monitor. So your little screen has your little face. So now you've got to be more up with your energy. You've got to be willing to smile more, put more uh inflection in your voice you have to be more um you have to be more generous with how you are bringing people into the conversation right so it's not about being funny or um over the top with your energy nobody's asking you to do that but just be aware that your mannerisms and your tone of voice and your facial expressions all need to fit on a little space and you've got to bring people in. So that's engaging. Now let's talk about interactivity. So interactivity then is how are we getting people engaged with you and engaged with the information? Now there's a couple of rules of thumb here. And the first off is something should be happening on the screen every minute or two. And when I say something should be happening, there should be a screen trans transition if you're in PowerPoint. So something should be happening on the PowerPoint screen. Or um, you should be annotating the screen using the annotation marker, either in WebEx or Zoom or whatever application that you're using. Or um, that maybe you've changed your tone of voice a little bit. Or you've changed slides. So something should be happening about every minute or two. Then every four minutes or so, you should be asking people to do something. Put that in the chat or use the whiteboard feature or take this poll or give me a green check or give me a smiley face. You should be asking people to use the interaction tools within your um, within your tool itself. So be that Zoom or WebEx or whatever it is that you're using. Right. And then about every five to 10 minutes, there should be a big activity. There should be a mini activity, if you will, a breakout room or a discussion or um, uh, something off of Kahoot, maybe you're going to do a pop quiz. So there should be something bigger that happens. And so now every couple, so now you can see there's a rhythm, right? Every minute there's something happening on the screen. Every four minutes, you're asking people to do something. Every five minutes, there's a, a mini activity that's happening on the screen. So now you can see that there's this cadence that's keeping people with you. And that's what you want to do. So that's you know, when we're talking about activities or interaction, that's what we mean. A couple of things I want to recap, because I think you said, wow, there's so much good stuff there. First of all, I love the idea of being, I'm doing it now, be bigger on screen, right? Just bring the bigger energy and things are going to, it's going to convey because, uh, you know, we used to say all the time, the camera adds 10 pounds. I did that to myself. <laughs> uh, I think it's that the camera doesn't convey the same energy as you can when you're in a room, right? Like you've been, right. in, if you've been a trainer, you've been in a room and you're good at it. You know how to kind of work people, work with people and talk to them. And you, you, you can fill that space with your voice and whatever on camera. It's different because you can't, you're not projecting the same way. And in fact, uh -huh. I'd say there's times, and this is showmanship rather than maybe, you know, like, but we get a little bit closer to the microphone and we get, make it a little, <laughs> Hey, wait a second. This is really important. And you, but you know, it's like understanding the dynamics of the room. So I love that. And then I, the, the, the idea of like finding these interactions and the, the constant change. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, and here we are, of course, doing a podcast that lasts mm, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. And, uh, and hopefully we're doing that by questions and using questions, but I love this idea. Uh, and it makes me think of, and I think we just mentioned this person, uh, recently, um, I'm blanking on the name. The book is brain rules. 
Oh, John Medina. John Medina. Yeah, absolutely. And his, uh, his book is fantastic. And he talks about something very similar in lecture, like every 10 minutes, you know, he would do stuff that would kind of re-engage and re-energize and reinvigor kind of the learning process. So I, I, all that to say, that's a really long recap of the brilliant things you just said. What will training look like post-pandemic? Not exactly an ILT to VLT question, but I think it's one that I think probably involves those topics, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's a great question. Uh, here's my thought. And again, it's just my thought, you know, so so take it for, for what it's worth. Um, I, I believe what's going to happen is businesses are going to realize and hopefully good good L&D professionals will realize that you can do virtual training well, and it can be effective. It's also a part of a blended learning solution. So my hope is that we move more towards blended solutions. So whether that's anchored in an ILT or anchored in a virtual space, but we should be using more of the tools that are out there to really encourage learning reinforcement, uh, encourage discussions, ongoing discussions, uh, uh, encourage drip feeding of knowledge, making use of all of the learning technologies that we have that will reinforce learning yet not cause disruption to the business. And that's what I think businesses will see post pandemic is that there are many more ways for us to get really good exchange of knowledge out there without dragging people into a classroom. And I know a lot of face-to-face trainers probably don't necessarily want to hear that because we've really wrapped ourselves up in this very comfortable, you know, face-to-face training blanket, but there are really so many more exciting opportunities out there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, one thing I'll just point out is there's lots of great blended opportunities uh, with video, with images that you can bring those things together. How do you consider the difference in training duration when converting from ILT to VLT? Great question, because you might have a Uh course or an instructional thing that's planned for a day, it's planned for five days. And no, no one wants to sit on Zoom. For five days, eight hour, five, eight hour days, right? Right, right. No, and please don't do that. And the the scary thing is, is that when the pandemic started, that's what people were doing. They were saying, okay, I've got an eight hour class. Now we'll put it on an eight hour Zoom. And that just blew my mind. I was like, no, don't do that to people. So I still tell you, I beg you, please don't do that to people. Okay, so now what are the guidelines? Um, Now, if you have to do a longer VILT program, you have to make sure that your breaks are more frequent and that they are longer, okay? Because again, people are staring at this computer screen, okay, right here. And so you've got a variety of different things that are happening to you. First, you've got eye strain, you've got brain strain, you've got cognitive overload that's happening. You have all of these things, not to mention you have many people who are taking these training classes at home. And so this means that they may have children that they have to attend to. They may have other work things that they have to attend to. So there's a lot of things that are happening in the environment that we have to take into consideration. So if you are doing um, longer training during the course of a day, then your breaks have to be more frequent and they have to be longer. That said, I the common refrain is to keep your virtual training at 90 minutes. I'm okay with two hours, you know, even two and a half, if you have a good long break in the middle of it, but I would recommend that you cap it there. And what you do is that you just make the training over the course of more days. So maybe it's two hours on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, rather than six hours taking up everybody's Monday and also putting them into brain strain, right? You know, where we're giving them, you know, technology agony. So let's not do that to people. So that's my recommendation. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, one thing I'm, I'm curious, Shannon, about your opinion on would be is, what about delivering information outside of that 
the virtual environment, like maybe you send them a couple of videos or some things to read yes. and they do it on their own and then come together. Does that have a place here as yes. well? Do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's part of the blend that I was referring to earlier. And when I'm hosting my own workshops, here's the cadence that I like to use is that I usually have my uh, classroom set up in Zoom and I use that in conjunction with Slack. So we have uh, you have your pre-work, your discussions, your projects, your networking all happens in Slack. And then your main content, your main gist of your content happens in the virtual space, happens in the Zoom space. But what I'm doing is I'm producing smaller, shorter videos. So maybe little three or five minute videos, which also bring home a particular point that I want to make. So let's say if this were a virtual training uh class. So I do a workshop for clients on how to conduct virtual training. And so one topic might be um, how to use collaboration tools. And so I may have an hour in a virtual setting like this where we may practice with collaboration tools, but then I'm going to post a little five minute video afterwards to wrap up all of the topics, you know, to wrap up the main ideas and to give people an opportunity to process, think and comment. And so now what we've done is we've really made the learning more connected. It's just not me talking to you. It's you having a chance to reflect. And that really is important when you're thinking about the virtual space is having those opportunities to have that place to share information, right? And I think that's what makes learning stronger. Yeah, for sure. So let's, we're going to do one more question and we'll get back kind of into our, our formal conversation. This one uh, comes from Steven and he's asking, do you advise classroom limits uh, for mm -hmm. VLT to ensure engagement interactivity? Also for the larger numbers, do you request all have their video on? Great question. You know, I, you know, I know what it's like at home. You've got uh -huh. a messy backdrop. You're not set up. You're like, oh gosh, I don't want to show my kids run around doing whatever. Uh, so that's a great question about the, about the camera stuff, but also about limits. What do you think, Shannon? Right, right. Uh, that's an interesting question. I do not require that people have their video on. And that's for a variety, for a variety of reasons. Like right now, I, this very big shot of me, I don't like that because my camera is actually set up to be right here in this square. So you don't see this green screen that's happening over here. <laughs> You know, but but for that reason is why people some people don't put on their video because you don't know what's happening in their lives. Right. They may be in their closet for all, you know, you know, trying to get some space and some and buffer some noise. So I never require people to have on their video for that one reason, but also because it sucks up bandwidth. You know, some people just may not have the Internet capability to do that. Now, um, as far as caps with the class. I've done some virtual classes, which is with as many as 35 people. And that is actual training classes. I don't like it because I can't, I can't really use the collaborative tools that I like to use. If you're putting in, you know, mural and you're having 30 people on a mural board, it's very hectic, you know? So I like to keep them smaller. I like to keep them in the neighborhood of 20 you know, anything larger than that, once you start getting into the hundreds, you're really talking webinar, you know, then you're just talking, I'm just, you know, talking to you and maybe taking some comments in the chat. But that's usually my take on that. I like to keep them 30 and under anything over that. You're really looking at a webinar or break the class up, do two parts, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> So, um, okay. So we've, we've answered a few questions. We'll try to get to a few more before we end up, uh, Shannon, one of the things I'm curious about, because we've talked some theoretical, a lot of great advice here, like anyone watching or listening so far, I think would be is well positioned to go out and, and start making this process. But I want to get a little bit more kind of refined here in terms of the actual process that you use, because we've talked about kind of limits and these kind of boundary type questions, but I'm wondering if you can like, so let's say I've got a class and we can use an example. We can make up an example, whatever works best for you to help us to understand. Um, you know, I was thinking about my, my sister-in-law has found herself in a training role at a credit union, right? And they did everything face-to-face -face, and now they're like, we need to do stuff more virtual because of everything that's happening. And, uh, you know, the thing I was thinking about is, um, 
where, where would you advise someone to start? And I'm sure it's all very dependent on, you know, it depends because that's a lot of the answers that people have, right? It's like, well, it depends on what the course is, but let's say they were just, uh, I was thinking of something like customer service skills, right? Something that's not, it's not necessarily software, which I think would translate really well to virtual, obviously. Um, but you got customer service skills. So where would you even start to advise like kind of that generally that process you would go through if you've got a virtual environment or you're going to a virtual environment? Right. Now, let's say you do have training that's already been created and it's been created for customer service. Now, what you want to do is you're going to reverse engineer this training. So you've got your uh, you've got your curriculum and you start thinking about your learning objectives. And now you have to think about, do my learning objectives fit within the virtual space? So, for example, if you said that uh, one of your learning objectives is by the end of this program, the participants will be able to de-escalate conversations. So now you have to think about if I said that the participants are going to be able to de-escalate conversations, we have to create an activity that allows for the participants to de-escalate conversations. That's where you start. So now what does that look like? Is that a role play? Is that a case study review? Is it a video review? What does that look like? And so you think about the activity that you might have done in your real life class and then think about how can I convert that into the virtual space? And is it possible to convert that into the virtual space? In some cases, you may have to rewrite your learning objectives, you know, where you think, well, you know, I really can't have them demonstrating something for whatever reason. I, I, I will not be able to have them demonstrating something. So now I have to change what that learning outcome is supposed to be or what that learning objective is going to be. So that's where you start. You start first with your learning objectives and then you take the action statement because you guys are writing good three-part learning objectives. So you're taking your action statement out of your learning objective and then you're, you're saying, what do I do in the live class to make that learning objective be successful? Now, what activity am I going to use in the virtual space? What tools am I going to use? What am I going to have them do? And so you map that out first. And then that's when you start thinking about what am I going to say? Because you've got to get the exercises and the activities in first and then your words second. Right. And then that's why um, you create you, you might even have to recreate your participant guides to fit within the virtual space. So it's reverse engineering what you already have for your instructor led training. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, so one of the things I'm, I'm, th I'm hearing and you, you correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so first of all, I'm, I, you know, the, the non optimist in me, the, the, you know, the realist is saying there's work here, Shannon. There sounds like there's work. I thought this was going to be mm -hmm. easy and it's, it's, but what I'm, but what I'm understanding is like, it's probably your, your at least 50% of the way there. It's just reconfiguring to work, mm -hmm. to make it actually work in the environment. Cause I think from everything you said earlier, my fear is, is that someone's just going to try to do that same in same intent of like activity and it's just not going to work. So I, I do, I do appreciate that. Like, yeah, rewriting learning objectives is not fun, but nope. it, it, it's going to allow you to achieve the actual goals that you need to achieve. Cause that's what mm -hmm. we need. It's, you know, it's not about, right. it's not about just the learning. It's about actually getting them to do something or understand or perform in a certain way. So I, I can, I can appreciate that. Okay. So we've, we've, we've looked at our material. We started to say like, yep, I'm going to rewrite my learning objectives. I'm going to kind of reconfigure my activities. And you said something really key there that was the, you know, your voice second. Of course, there's always information to deliver. Like we can't get away from it, right? You can't just have someone know how to do something. You have to coach them and get them experience. Right. So then is the next step to like, if you're doing these and reconfiguring, do you look at tools? Do you look at like mm -hmm. how delivery mechanisms? Do you look at like, mm -hmm. you know, you said the, you know, maybe your participant guide gets got to get changed. I'm guessing your instructor guide's going to get right. updated or uh, audited mm -hmm. for better to make it better. Right. This is it is that you have to go back through your facilitator guide and through your facilitator notes and, and, rethink about how the day is structured. You may even have to go back and re rethink about how you are presenting the content mm 
you know, so it might be that the foundational information that you may spend the first couple of hours doing in a live classroom setting or the first hour doing in a live classroom setting that might have to be done in a video. So you shoot a video of yourself talking about these foundational ideas or theories or mental models or whatever it is you're talking about. You give you put that video together and you do it very clever and you can do it in Camtasia or whatever. And you send it out to people via email or your teams or Slack or what have you. People watch it and then they come prepared to do the activities that you would have normally done in the classroom. And that's how you start to build this up. And it's important then that when you're looking at your facilitator's guide, because your facilitator guide, a good one would say, this activity takes 30 minutes with 15 minutes for debrief. Okay, well, maybe you've got that kind of time in the virtual space, maybe you don't. So now you have to reconfigure this. If I put people in breakout rooms, maybe the activity becomes faster. And a lot of times people are surprised that happens. Activities that would have taken an hour in the live classroom actually now take a half an hour when you're doing it in the virtual space because you don't have to herd chickens, right? And so here you're putting people in breakout rooms, you're telling them what to do, they're doing their thing. You know, in the live space, what happens is you put people into groups and they're talking and they're laughing. And by the time you get them into the group and you get the instructions redone, an hour has gone by. So this is where you really have to start thinking about, you know, how should I structure this? And so, again, we're, you're reverse engineering what you're doing. And that's how you get those heavy days, you know, done in your heavy activities completed in your virtual space is you may have to break them apart and use different tools. You may have to do some of them offline and then do some of the heavy lifting while you're in the virtual space. Yeah, that makes a complete and total sense. Uh, and I, I love this idea that that you said that like we're, we're not spending the same time, right? Because how much time in face to face is chit chat? It's coming back together. It's moving chairs, moving desk, doing right. all this stuff. So I love that, that, you know, just by nature, the nature of the, the medium, we're going to we're going to save time. So I think that's I right. think that's great. And um, right. I think an important point here, Matt, is um, a lot of people think they'll go, well, Going virtual means that we're going to decrease class time. I don't see it necessarily as a decreasing of class time. I see it as being more effective in your class time, more productive in your class time. So if you plan this well, then it all comes together that way. Yeah, it feels a lot more optimized, right? That we're we're taking advantage of not having to do certain certain aspects, but you still, of course, want people to chit chat. You still want them to connect. Oh, sure. Uh, and that's uh, you know because that's a vital part of, of bringing any mm -hmm. group together is making those connections. Um, one of the things as you you've been talking, uh, the, it hit me, and it wasn't a question I wrote down earlier, but I, it, it's got me thinking. Like we've talked about, like you know, some of these activities. I'm I'm curious. Are there any things that you've seen as people have, as you've worked on moving these instructional ed courses to, to virtual, or you've watched others do that? Are Are there any activities or things that just you would think would work, but just don't work in the in the virtual environment? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I have my doubts. Um, at first, you know, when everything started and I've been doing virtual training now for for many, many moons and uh, and I've made my adaptions as I've gone along. But now, ever since the pandemic is I started doing deeper thinking about this and I really I've always said it. But now I really realize it is that there's really not a whole lot that you cannot do in the virtual space if you have the right tools. And it's all about, you know reimagining how some of the tools are used. For example, uh, I was thinking to myself, well, one of the activities that I like to do in a face-to-face -face class is the gallery walk. And I'm sure any of you who are live facilitators who are listening right now are familiar with the gallery walk. You hang the flip charts on the wall and people walk around and they give their comments or whatever, you know, as, as they're walking through. Okay, so how do we replicate that in the virtual space? Because that's always a fun activity. People like doing that. So how, how do we do that? And it took some playing around with the different tools and bringing in 
you know, some extra thought spaces. And I was like, you know what, if I combine breakout rooms with Google Docs, I can make this happen. So then it's really about understanding all the tools that we really have that we don't make use of. So you think about Google Docs or Google Slides or Jamboard, you know, all of those are easily used if you put them in breakout rooms. So all I have to do is put the different links into the different breakout rooms and people can see each other's work and they can comment on each other's work while being in a group. So I was like, oh my God. So I had that aha moment. So I don't know if there's anything that can work or shouldn't work. You know, it's just about knowing the tools, playing with them and, you know, being unafraid to experiment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's fantastic that, uh, you know, this idea of look at the tools and how they can be used in different ways because we're in a different environment. It's a different world. And I, I think that makes perfect sense. And I, I hope everyone listening out there is excited by that as I am. You might be also a little bit like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I'm not that creative. <laughs> That's why we have, that's why we do these videos. That's why Shannon's out there doing her, uh, I, you guys are doing, you're doing your webinars and you're doing your meetups and things like the coffee chats and things like that. And so mm -hmm. I hope everyone's inspired by that. How do you deal with the time requirement versus accomplishing the goal style of teaching? Um, and I think we talked a little bit about that, right? You like, you got to change expectations, but my guess is there seems to be some expectations at uh, various levels. Maybe it's coming from management. Maybe it's just internal pressure the way it's always been done that, oh, we need to spend this much time kind of butts in the seat to get to get things done. My when I read this question, I thought maybe somebody is saying we only are going to give you an hour and a half, even though this time this class was scheduled for four hours. Now you only get an hour and a half, um, which, which happens. My conversation with leadership at this point and you have to be unafraid to have a conversation with leadership is to say these are the learning outcomes that are expected people are you are expecting people to be able to do xyz based on this training okay this training was originally set for 4 hours and it was successful at 4 hours so now if i move it to an hour and a half and if this training is not successful, what's the consequence? Right. right. Okay. So there's that. So I, I'm typically unafraid to ask people that question. What happens if this training fails? And, uh, and I usually get some sort of a, you know, smart answer back where they say, well, you're fired if this training fails. Well, okay, I'm fired, but the training still failed. So now what? You know, so we have to be prepared to have those sorts of mental conversations. So now it's like we've got we have to put people in the seat for three hours because that is the regulation. The regulation says that sexual harassment has to take three hours. OK. All right. So now it's about being clever. Uh, uh, is it a butts and seats requirement or is it a knowledge exchange requirement? Uh, requirement. So three hours equals that they have learned this. So that means you can put content together and you can put it in different places, like I said, in Slack or your collaborative space, you know, and they learned all these things and that equates to three hours. Now, if it's an actual, they've got to be on this camera for three hours, then you just have to be clever. You know, so take apart the class, take apart the curriculum, build in those activities, have them actually doing something, but have them doing something that relates to the learning. So now you put on your creativity hat and you think about, all right, as it sits, I only have maybe about an hour and a half of good content. So now what sort of activities can I do? Can I do some case studies? Can I do some use cases? Can I put them in breakout rooms and have them create their own job aids? Can I um, do a panel discussion? Can I do a debate? So there's a whole lot of different things that you can do to really build good quality information in the time that you have. I guess my thought, Shannon, here is, is that... 
we want to be respectful of the learner's time, even if there's a requirement, right? Government says you have to do this, then we've got to do that. But can we make that the best use of that time to, right. to help them? And, and you know, when I worked at a pharmaceutical and manufacturing, you did have learners of all variety, right? You had the people that were the chemical engineers to the, to the you know, people that were were not, you know, they just, they came right out of high school and they were working this job and they weren't, you know, trained in that same kind of formal education. Um, and so it can, I could see where that could be a challenge in that environment when you're trying to train across many, many, many levels of understanding mm -hmm. and depth of knowledge and background and things like that. But it does seem like, I love your, you know, like make that time worthwhile with the activities. Right. I, I love the ideas of having them make their own job aids. What are you going to forget? What are you not going right. to remember? I love that. That's one of my most favorite activities is I start out saying you're going to make your own job aid. And then we take little breaks throughout to say, OK, add something to your job aid. And then you put them in a breakout room and then everybody looks at everybody else's job aid. Right. And then you can make improvements based on that. I also like the idea of turning it into a panel. So if you've got highly experienced people in your group, talk to them before the class and say, I'd kind of like to get your opinion on this. Yeah. Why not? People love to share what they know, you know, especially if you're dealing with a group of subject matter experts. So let them share. For sure. Learning management system, the LMS will probably be used more and more, um, which I think. Yeah, probably, probably, probably. But it, but I would want it. But I'd also tell you. Just because you can put it in your learning management system doesn't mean you should put it in your learning management system. Some learning management systems are just horrible, you know, so they're not easy to navigate. The, the user interface is really clunky. So unless you have to put it in your learning management system, I would encourage you to think about other tools. Yeah. I mean, use, use what's available to you and make the best of it Do do what you can. An LMS, a well-run LMS can be a benefit. Of course, we all know some of the horror stories when they're not well-run. I have not found it difficult in Zoom to pull off breakout rooms. Um, what I really like about the Zoom feature, uh, the breakout rooms in Zoom, is that you can just put them in there. I, I don't have to, in some programs, you have to plan that ahead of time. But in this case, I can just random throw people into a room. And as long as you give good instruction, that's the key. And that's something we really haven't talked about is with these tools, you always have to have a slide that gives people the directions. So this is what I'm expecting of you. You know, um, you're going to click here and when the box pops up, pops up, click accept. And then you're going to go into the room. And when you go into the room, you're going to be automatically muted. So don't forget to unmute yourself. So you just have to be very, very specific with the instructions, you know, for all of the activities that you're going to do. Never assume that people know what you expect of them. And one quick note on that is that even goes for chats. So when I'm in a space like this and I'm doing a virtual training, I, I'm on repeat. It's like, okay, in the chat, answer this question for me. In the chat, I'd like to hear your opinion. In the chat, I would like you to post your ideas. So I'm always giving them direction as far as what I expect them to do. So therefore, there's, there's no question. There's no ambiguity here. And people know, you know, people will do what's expected of them. So you just have to tell them what's expected. Yeah, I, I think that makes perfect sense. And I, I, I do think, you know, we're in a, even though we expect people to understand Zoom by this point, you know, nine, 10 months into most, a lot mm -hmm. of it being virtual, we can't. And I, I see that all the time as a problem with even, you know, how many times a day are you in meetings? You say you're muted or how many times have I muted myself and not unmuted it when I should have, uh, you know, and it's just reminding people, even if they know, yep. The other thing I'll, I'll, I'll note of that, Shannon, I think is really important. Why that advice is really important is how many times you've gotten to Zoom and something moved or any tool. Right. And it's like, oh, they updated yeah. it, which is cool. <laughs> but and TechSmith is guilty of this, you guys. We know, uh, you know, but it's just getting that, that consistency. Sometimes things aren't consistent because it changes from time to time. So, right. When we're talking about engagement, I just want to make one more fine point here is one of the major questions that I get asked as far as issues are concerned. They say people tell me I can't get people to answer questions. I get nothing but silence. And that is because you have not set the expectation up front. 
So have them start using the chat at the very beginning. So you put an icebreaker question up or something along those lines. As soon as people start coming into the meeting room, in the chat, tell me what, what your favorite Thanksgiving side dish is. In the chat, tell me your favorite football team. In the chat, did you watch Game of Thrones? Okay, so now you're getting them used to using the chat. Now, here's the key. When you ask people a question, you have to give it more time. Because when you're in the classroom, you say, anyone have a question? You're looking immediately for people to raise their hand and you're looking at the expression on their faces, right? That tells you a lot. But in this case, you don't have that. So you have to wait a couple of extra beats because you've asked them a question. Now they have to think about the answer. Then they have to type the answer and not everyone is so quick on the keyboard. So if you don't allow that time, if you say, well, do you have any questions? And then you give it just a couple of beats and you go, well, I see nobody saying anything in the chat, so I'm gonna move on. That automatically discourages questions for the remainder of your time. So I just wanted to make that point before we left. Jen, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight. Um, I, I hope, you know, for anyone, I guess, you know, we've had a couple of people ask about, you know, something about your book. We got asked about your website. Where can people find you and find more information about these topics? Because I know you're doing stuff all the time that uh, would continue the conversation and be in addition to the conversation. Sure. You know, you can find me at learningrebels.com. I encourage everyone to sign up for the newsletter, not just because it's my newsletter, but because every other Friday we do a live chat. So it's me and the Learning Rebels Network. And if you are on the newsletter, you get those announcements. So if you are interested in having more one-on-one -on -one conversations, and these are not hosted conversations like what we're doing here. These are let's everybody jump in and talk type of conversations and share knowledge. And that happens every other Friday. So I encourage you to go to my website, learningrebels.com and sign up for the newsletter. So you are in the know perfect and any place uh i suppose oh, you're on social media Twitter. and things oh yeah i'm all over the i'm all over the social so you can find me learning rebels uh instagram learning rebels facebook um at s tipton on uh, twitter and shannon tipton on linkedin you can find me anywhere i like to say if you cannot find me then the zombie apocalypse has finally hit well, let's hope that's not true. Uh, Shannon, thank you once again for all your wisdom and insights. So everybody go check out Shannon's website, sign up for a newsletter and let us know what you think of today's episode. Shannon, thank you so much again. We're always, it's always great to see you and talk with you. Oh, same to you, Matt. Thank you. With that said, we hope that you're surviving out there doing your things. We hope that you're finding this, con this content useful and other content that we make for TechSmith, of course. If you haven't checked out our, the podcast, go subscribe. You can get that weekly feed right into your ears where when you're doing your chores, you're you know mopping your kitchen floor, whatever you're doing, you can listen to the podcast or you can watch the videos on replay on YouTube, of course. And if that's not enough, check out the blog. And we'd love to have any of your reviews or feedback with any of it because we want to know how we can continue to get better. And we hope that whatever you're doing, whether you're making videos, making images, that you spend a little bit of time just leveling up your skills and getting better every single day. With that said, everyone, we hope you have a great week and we will see you next time. <laughs>